Hello and welcome to Move Conversations. This is your host Venkat. In this episode, we talk to VB Kasi. Kasi, as the regular listeners will know, is a fellow IFTN and a veteran commodities trader who worked with Kofco uh, America, Kofco Switzerland, Noble Resources in Switzerland, Coke Oils, which is now part of Wilma Group, and so on. So last time Kasi was with us, he shared uh, some of his interesting experiences in Turkey. Today we have him back to understand the crisis in the soya bean trade that happened nearly 20 years ago and what was his experience at that time. So Kasi, uh, welcome to Move Conversations Trade Staff. So let's hear about your experiences in trading soya bean with China. Thank you, Venkat. Uh, good to be back. Uh, so many things that happened in a career that you can keep recounting stories after stories. This, so. <laughs> so let's start today's discussion with uh, you know with a quick overview you know of the soya bean global supply chain and the overall you know uh, soya value network. Uh, you know, just a short overview so that audiences will be able to know and relate to the, you know, the global players, the national players, how they are connected to each other in the value network, so that you know when you go deeper, uh, you know, sharing your experiences later. So uh, we got to go back to a little bit of uh, the growth of Asia in a way, and, mm -hmm. and the rise of China in this story. Mm -hmm. So Asia has been developing. Let's call it probably more from late '80s onwards, and on a big run-up, uh, and it's been rising forever uh, for the last right. 30, 40 years. And China played a very important role in that rise. And so China got into World Trade Organization. They were not members of WTO till 2001. So they finally got into uh, WTO in 2001, and that actually. Uh, started a massive bull run on a lot of commodities, and commodity space really got a boost from Chinese um, admission to the WTO. Right. Uh, so, in 2001, if if we go back to a bit of uh, uh, the developmental models that we look at, that as the GDP rises, normally protein consumption goes up, and Absolutely. so that is a direct correlation in a way for a lot of countries. Uh, exceptions being india simply because india is still predominantly a vegetarian oriented country so in the case of china uh, their imports of soybeans at the time of wto entry were somewhere in the region of sub 10 million tons we were just okay. about starting to get into the mode of importing more soybeans so that they uh, raise essentially soybeans is crushed processed into soybean meal and soybean oil majority right and then some by products lysine things like this so the meal is the one that goes into feeding the uh, animals so it's uh, whether you right. call it in in the case of china it's hogs or hogs and pigs poultry it can be dairy it can be so many other animals aquaculture right. which is another major industry so china got in at this stage uh, and in by 2003 or 4 uh, china was somewhere around 25 million tons of imports mm -hmm. and so you can imagine that from a 10 million to 25 million that's already a massive 250% jump and similarly they kept jumping and currently as of this year 2021 2021 i think we are expecting chinese imports to be somewhere like about 100 million tons mm -hmm. it's a spectacular run up in the imports and tells you the story of the rise of china in a way in the commodity markets and right. it's the single biggest 
uh, agri commodity supply chain in the world soybeans is still today the biggest single biggest from north and south america to china this is one of the biggest right. supplies so that's the basic background to uh, how the setting was in uh, way back in 2003 when uh, yeah. i was uh, part of uh, noble in uh, singapore and uh, right. i was uh, i was uh, getting to grips with the chinese imports of soybeans because they were rising and we had to have a kind of plan as to how we going to ride this wave right so right beginnings okay and uh, so it was an early stage for your company noble right uh, noble at that time it was an early stage for almost everybody uh, okay. all the major grain houses whether it was cargill labungi or adm or dreyfus these are the major players uh, and wilmar of course which is uh, another major player in china uh, right. and kofco on the other side was a major importer into in china which is right. they are they massive position in the domestic market so mm. these are the major players at that point in time so they they all were getting into this mold of bigger imports into china because their mm. domestic production of soybeans sort of plateaued they were probably stuck not going too much not too high not too going down but they were just about there so that's the reason they needed more and more imports as the population started demanding a better uh, you know food and nutrition in a way uh, because of the rising consumption and uh, so you said that getting yeah but go ahead go ahead no so the the chinese were getting more prosperous so obviously they were demanding better uh, you know nutrition so that's right. what uh, soybeans are going to help in a way indirectly right so you mentioned that you know north and south america to to china so who are the main suppliers apart from usa at that time and uh, who are so new entrants and so on in north america it's us is the, the major supplier in any case and those days us was a lot bigger supplier of agri commodities compared to south right. america south america was again a rising continent in a way in agri business they were not as big as they are today uh, it's a lot of that growth in south america is on the back of chinese consumption China. really they directly boosted the uh, production of agri commodities like soybeans corn and various other things in brazil and argentina so these are the two major so let's put it in soybean market if you want to be importing you are really importing from one of these three countries that's mainly the source 95% of it comes from these two countries three countries uh, and very little from other countries so so how do so these were the things that were happening at the time and so what were the things that were um, developing at the you know in in terms of like leading up to the you know situation um, that we we're going to discuss uh, further right so in 2003 uh, of the kind of 20 25 million tons of imports that year uh, mm. we were looking at hofco wilmar having their own kind of supply arrangements because they are right. the largest in the country right and then you had several other local players right mostly and there were very few uh, foreign companies wilmar was one of them and then there was uh, cargill i think had one plant with a mm. gym 
because china at that point till 2001 or 2 was not even allowing foreign companies to set up uh, 100% uh, owned companies in a way so it was not that it was easy to also go and nobody was ready to go into chinese market on their own completely on their own steam so they were looking for some kind of a joint venture partners so wilmar also had a jv with uh, cofco in one of the plants and then they had other kind of arrangements and so they were there already on the ground uh, so these are the big guys now what is left beyond these two is where the addressable market for a commercial is like a like a noble or anybody else who was looking to sell soybeans apart from those two right because and they were very very of course skewed and uh, very clued into the whole supply chain that they had their own ways of buying at that point in time so the real addressable market probably was no more than 5 or 10 million tons out of okay. the 25 25 million so, tons mm -hmm. so this was the background and in 2003 if you look at the charts and the uh, of the price action in 2003 there was a shortage the supply and demand was very tight the supply was very tight because of weather conditions uh, so we were coming into a kind of a market that was rallying from somewhere around 560 570 per bushel on soybeans which looks like a dream today uh, but then it rallied all the way to almost 10 dollar 50 or 10 dollar 60 cents mm. a bushel by the time we hit march of 2004 so there was mm. a continuous rally in the soybean market at this same time now 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 what happened with the rally in the market normally buyers get very encouraged when the markets are rising mm. a lot of chinese importers who now obviously most importers don't have a lot of experience a lot of um, track record they were all there for last maybe 1 2 3 years some of them right. maybe a little longer but they've not really been part of a whole international trade uh, standard Cy operating procedures and cycles in a way so buyers were basically these and they some of them were probably related in some way or another to the existing players jvs and things like that so we um, we started at that point around probably august september of 2003 started we had lots of inquiries coming from china so we started selling to some of these guys very selectively we did our own work as much as possible but it was still not very easy to pick the big guys had their extremely tight terms and conditions there was nothing to make out of it uh, and the smaller guys were too dangerous to get into so you had to really pick the best of the middle mid ground in a way yeah so yeah. that's that's how we got into the market at that point in time so we had uh, a sales of about five cargoes as of november of 2003 or so mm -hmm. uh, five or six cargoes actually so we are already 360000 tons 350 360000 tons of sales in an addressable market probably of 5 to 10 million for the whole of next year right. so it was a, it was a great beginning for us and we were pretty happy with the way we were conducting the business uh, by the time we, the year ran out in 2003 itself was the next year and then we had opportunities obviously to sell again next year for some more and so we were thinking we'll go up to a million million and a half tons of uh, total sales for the year which is pretty decent by those standards at that time because you got to make sure your so risk management is very much in place that you're not just selling to anybody and everybody 
the other issue was that since most of the, the big players bigger players apart from just one plant here one plant there and one cargo here one cargo there type of buyers mm. bigger players were mostly um in um a kind of uh, payment terms that they wanted it to be uh, da right DA, 90 days 120 days because someone else is offering it uh, whatever that was so we did not want although there was a lot of uh, debate within uh, the company on the desk as to okay if we pick up the da buyers maybe we end up selling another 10 cargoes eventually right but we went back and forth and finally i took a stand that no we are not selling to anybody who wants a da payment unless it's the top tier the first rung of these players or two three of them that's it right so we sold all the cargoes based on letter of credit payment so everybody okay. had to open letter of credit and then the shipment will happen one month before shipment you know with some deposit that kind of terms and conditions is what we lined up so that's that's how we ended the year 2003 maybe early 2004 mm. uh, with march shipment starting up in brazil that's when march normally is the time that brazil starts shipping mm. and argentina normally comes in late april early may onwards because of a later harvest now we had one cargo also of argentina that was coming up at a later stage right right so this is how it was uh, set up as we got into february right 2004 and mm -hmm. we had um a lot of pressure from the buyers the early buyers to get the beans in faster okay because they are looking at some pretty good uh, profits uh, they were basically distributing probably and they had their own tie up with some local processing of, uh, companies and they were everybody was clamoring for the beans to arrive like yesterday so we made a special arrangements we pushed literally our suppliers to get the beans in uh, early march so that we shipped as early as we can in march itself uh, early march so we had the first ship that sailed out probably more like 10th or 15th of march uh, because the harvests all said and done get delayed there will be some delays some problems yep, yep. all that stuff so we had the first ship out by about 15th of march with an arrival into china southern china most uh, that was the discharge port by about uh, 20th of april hmm. so this was the first shipment that went out and we subsequently had another uh, four shipments coming up over uh, march and april hmm. and march april even some may and one argentine coming up in early may so this was the lineup for the six ships okay uh, so this happened everything was still looking good march came and went we are like 1060 hitting the highs on the markets and our vessel reaches uh, the first vessel that and us happened to be the first vessel driving in china mm -hmm. all the efforts that we put in uh, you got the first one that landed in uh, the discharge port in china in xiamen and this was which origin uh, this was brazilian origin and the shipment okay. was coming from rio grande okay so we um, we we had the ship arriving and i mean there was nothing to concerning about anything so it was all uh, business as usual but then we got a message saying that uh, 
right authorities in China found on inspection some pink beans in the. Okay. I mean, so what's a pink bean? Now, pink beans. So we didn't know what was pink beans at that stage. <laughs> okay. You too. Beans, <laughs> so we we had to do some investigation, and then they sent us some pictures. All that happened, and then they stopped discharge actually for a while, and. We are running helter skelter to find what happened exactly. This also probably came over a weekend, so we had to let the markets open and go back to check. Uh, what we realized was because it was a very tight supply year on the previous year, mm. beans literally were cleaned. The bins were cleaned by the suppliers in Rio Grande or in mm. some other ports in Brazil. Mm. In cleaning up of the bins, somewhere. The, the beans that are kept for re-sowing, which is basically seeds, they get coated with uh, this whatever fungicide and insecticide, all those things. Those are normally coated and they look like pink color. Mm. And somewhere they're mixed up in the supply chain. Now, despite inspection, despite global international inspection companies, a whole lot of people watching, these are in minute quantities, but they got into the supply somewhere. And mm. nobody detected it uh, at the origin. In the sampling, etc. Yeah. Sampling and all that. So they arrived at discharge port, and that's how when they found these pink beans, they said, What is this? And they stopped. Mm. Now, till then, we normal contract terms for uh, beans or any agri commodities normally will say that uh, as part of the specifications, apart from whatever major specifications. There will be a phrase that will be added saying free from uh, pesticides, insecticides, or poisonous seeds, most importantly, weeds, things like this. And in the case of some of the commodities, they'll even say aflatoxin, free yep. from aflatoxin. Free from aflatoxin, not normally people don't go checking when they say free, they think it is free, but free means there is uh, some allowance. And now that allowance has to be very small, really. That, that's why it's virtually free. It's not free, mm. but it's virtually free. So mm. aflatoxin, normally when they say free from aflatoxin, 20 ppb is already allowed by international standards, anywhere to anywhere. In this case too, if it is free from poisonous seeds, you could have some poisonous seeds. You could have a little bit of weeds that are not uh, probably edible or they could be poisonous too. But in such minute quantities. But so minute will be like in parts per billion or parts per million. Parts per billion, parts per billion, definitely. Yeah. Not even million. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, twenty parts per billion is actually quite a lot of quantity if you pick mm. it up on a big ship. But right. that's how. So nobody bothered about this problem. And when it arrived, and when they started uh, the, the the whole inspection rigmarole in China, that's when. Suddenly, everybody had to sit up and say, okay, but yeah, you found the pink beans, but how many are there? Mm. Oh, but there are so many. Okay, fine, so many, but how many? So they picked up and picked up and picked up. Okay, it's still numbers. You can count the numbers in a way at that stage. So mm. we see, if you can count, it means it's free, mm. like international standards, mm. right? So what is the problem? This, the, so the FITO authorities in China then Clarified saying, when we say it is free, it is free. <laughs> not a single seed, not a single weed has to be on board. 
So this, we said, okay, then obviously this is the local CIQ that is saying this. Why not we go to the Beijing CIQ? Then it went up, of course, very quickly to Beijing CIQ. We were waiting for clarification. And eventually the clarification came and Beijing CIQ took the same stance. And so that's when it hit us for the first time that the interpretation of these specifications is very different which we knew in international trade, it can be different in different countries, but this was like uh, from something to almost nothing. <laughs> right. Right. This, we, uh, we first could not believe this can be, and we said, no, no, it cannot be. Something will change anyway. Somewhere something will have to change. Uh, the inspection agencies, as well as the associations, the export associations like ANEC, ANEC is an association in Brazil for soybeans, uh, and Chiara or whatever. There, there are a couple of these associations in Argentina. They, we asked around, we got even USDA specifications, uh, Department of Agriculture. And everybody, when we drilled deeper, there was some allowance shown. And they all clarified also saying, yes, it's agri produce. You cannot have completely. Uh, so we gave all these papers back into uh, the authorities, but they held firm and they said that now, now the question is, okay, fine. Now you found this, what do we do? What's the next step? Now, as this drama was unfolding, we were, because we were the first, obviously, uh, the others were just still completely stunned and waiting to see what would happen. Mm. In the meantime, a whole host of ships hit Chinese ports uh, continuously. They started coming. And everywhere, uh, there was a serious inspection. The, the inspection became a lot stricter. Till then it was fairly relaxed and you were kind of getting the beans and it was flowing in. Now it became very strict. Uh, things slowed down at the ports and they started fi finding pink beans across other ships also. So then it, then it became from a one company problem to industry problem. True. So, so we, uh, we, we had a lot of calls around with all kinds of our competition to collaborators, suppliers and buyers, all kinds of things. And we realized basically that uh, this is not going away so quickly as we expected. We thought maybe there'll be a delay of 10 days, 15 days and we'll sort it out and things start moving again. How can the country just stop imports anyways? And something will happen. Now, finally, this dragged for almost a month or so and in May 15th or 20th, if I remember vaguely now, there was a circular from the government, uh, from the authorities saying that all these companies who ship this pink bean and the suppliers in the chain, whoever is appearing on the bill of lading, because he may not be the actual uh, uh, seller to the buyer, it can be a trader in between. So they, took out a list of companies, something that ran to the extent of 20, 30 companies maybe, and they blacklisted everybody. They sent a mm. blacklist on all the suppliers saying they cannot supply any more beans to China. Now this so is- this is not about the trading companies in between, intermediaries. It is about the original suppliers back in Brazil and in wherever Brazil. else who had big uh, bean cargo. They are Brazilian suppliers. Yes. Argentines are not there except if they happen to be common. Right. So we had suddenly a situation where most guys cannot actually supply anything to China. So that <laughs> then became a massive issue. 
right and the, and the ships are piling up still as it happened so this then resulted in a situation where the um i had to go literally to the buyer after uh, almost a month or so i think in some time in late in mid june or so i had to go to the first buyer because our ship was rejected and so were so many other ships but ours was one of the first so we had the first rejection in a way so <laughs> and you must have been paying like demerages or what like 80000 a day or yeah, what yeah that was the other major hassle really seriously hurting the industry two fold one was the uh freights were very high at that time because this this massive buying from china suddenly happening uh so panamax freights went up to 60 80000 somewhere in that range on a daily rate basis the second problem was that the prices that shot up from somewhere around 560 580 to 1060 in march started cracking and they started sliding now so now you had the double whammy of one you are paying for the vessel sitting outside with no idea when they actually get discharged and the second was the buyer who hedged maybe his uh, purchases at some price x price which could be 9 or 10 dollars or whatever now he's seeing that prices are going through his levels and he's now also in the red on top of it so he takes the cargo he has to not only pay the market difference domestically because he's selling cheaper than but he's also paying for the ships the damage that is occurring on the ships so this then was a perfect storm virtually in the industry uh, it very rarely it happens like this that the whole industry gets affected everything a, gets added up and so that then meant that i had to sit down with this buyer and negotiate that's when when you realize things go wrong they can go dramatically wrong when you never look at a scenario like this so it's a great uh, learning for uh, wuka students let's put it that <laughs> volatility so, uncertainty complexity so, and ambiguity so, right <laughs> don't look at the back side of the uh, you know contract <laughs> now importing into a country is easy but exporting the same out of the same country at the same time re-export is not an easy thing because right. nobody normally normal course of business you don't attempt True. True. so this is the situation we got into now to re-export you need express permission signing off by the importer respectively mm. <laughs> means you you are negotiating yes. with the importer himself to get your ship out to export right so okay so i had to go and negotiate uh, with our buyer and luckily at that point in time Uh, luckily unluckily whatever i had this argentine ship also coming and the buyers for that uh, did not open their lc in the meantime they just said that okay you are all blacklisted we cannot open lc that was the simple argument now here is the guy who opened lc on us we cashed their letter of credit and we had the money so i went and sat with the guy for almost a day and that's uh, subject by itself what negotiations took place but we negotiated i agreed on with him and he agreed with me to take our vessel out to take the vessel out is an achievement also and then put against that the vessel that swap it with the argentine cargo right so that now found a home for a vessel that had no home and took the vessel out where we had to find a home 
and okay we managed uh, literally scampered around the whole region and uh, sold it to philippines so this is, is essentially how the whole industry was struggling at that point subsequently okay a month later or so the blacklist was lifted and so uh, the trade started flowing again but by then people um, piled up heaps of losses um, so most of the competition everybody was losing money really at that time and there was not much you could do about it because physically the, the ships are stuck so right right quite a some time maybe about 3 4 months before all this got gradually sorted out and then the calculations went on and on anyway after that but mm. into a lot of arbitrations cases and all those sort of things so this is when we had one last ship coming from brazil that uh, again the buyer did not open lc now the ship arrived and we said instead of going anywhere just hang around hong kong and so it went up to hong kong and waited and we were trying to run through this whole gamut of options as to what do we do with the ship remember by then it's about 3 months into the crisis there was no home for any cargoes anywhere in the world now right. you have as a lifter and then i don't even know what the import re import uh, procedures in a country are fighto and other things then rotterdam europe everything was full asia was i mean everybody got battered by buyers elsewhere in china in uh, in asia got battered by the suppliers because everybody was knocking on everybody's door saying someone someone even said i'll rent a warehouse for you you just import keep it there use it next year you know all that kind of arguments right. also so we said what do we do now now it's very clear that this model of supplying just beans to third parties in china is not going to work there has to be a better way of doing this business since we are in this business and we want to grow this business in a way thank you for joining us in yet another episode of move conversations hope you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the move conversations youtube channel and press the bell icon to get notifications of new episodes thank you very much till i see you in the next episode thank you very much have a great day